0: Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. The title of Dr. Spahn's sermon today is Becoming What We Behold. The big idea is that the Holy Spirit frees us to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. As we behold Him, we are transformed into His image. I you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You'll find that on page 818 in your pew Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. A few comments before I read the scripture today. Um, As I look out at the sanctuary today, I just want you to know that you look wonderful. Um, I, I think back to the beginning of the pandemic and how bizarre times were. We would come in here and as a ministerial staff, Try to do something that looked like church without any people in it. And um, just want to be careful to thank God for his grace and mercy to sustain us and that we can all gather in this room this morning um, together. And so it's, it's a wonderful thing to see you here um, this morning. Also, wanted to make sure that you knew that Mary Fremer passed away this week. We sent an email out, um, but she and Jack, longtime members of our church, made significant. Um, they invested in our church significantly, and so pray for them. Mary's uh, service will be um, tomorrow down in Opelika, so I invite you to pray for them, and their children this week. Second Corinthians chapter three, beginning in verse twelve. Paul writes, "Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold." Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Keeping up appearances is a weary proposition. Keeping up appearances is a weary proposition. Perhaps you know this to be the case in your own life when you've tried to act as if you are something that you're not or if you've tried to cover up some mistake that you've made. I think about lots of different scenarios in which this might be the case for you or for me throughout our lives back when I went to school kids believe it or not my parents could not check the grades before I got home you know these days you can see what your kid made before they ever make it to the house but back in the olden days if you made a bad grade on a test you had a little bit of time you could hustle and you could work and try to make it up before anybody knew what was happening or maybe if you got a speeding ticket before Live 360, maybe you could even work to get that ticket paid off and nobody had to know what had happened. But there's that sense and that um, fear that you live under that maybe somebody's going to find you out before you fix it. Have you ever felt that tension in your own life? But There was something that appeared to be one way, but in reality it was a different way, and you were trying your best to max match reality with what everybody thought. I'm not really someone who's very active in social media, but I think social media sometimes um, exacerbates this desire in our hearts. Most of the time, when I look on Instagram, I only see beautiful people doing wonderful things. Beautiful children, wonderful vacations. Everything looks wonderful. And I feel this tension as a pastor. For some reason, some of you think that a pastor's family just always has it all together. But the reality of the situation is that we are a mess most days. Desperately in need of God's grace and mercy. And if you come to visit our house, sure, we'll make everything look okay. We'll throw everything in some closets and act like our house is always clean, but if you come two days later, you're going to see the reality of the situation. Perhaps you've been involved in more Zoom calls than you care to um, admit these days. And it's kind of become this cultural meme now that, that you're dressed up from the waist up. But if something were to happen and you had to stand up, everybody would see you in your gym shorts. You, you give the appearance that you got it all together. But in reality, you're just holding it together together. best you can. And the more and the more that we try to live into some illusion of who we are versus the reality of it, the more weary we become. And it happens for those of us who are Christians as much as anybody else. There's an understanding of the gospel or an understanding of Christianity that would have us to believe that we've got to keep everything together and that God's favor for us or our acceptance before other people is based primarily on how well you and I can obey and live up to the standards that everybody has set for us. And it can be such a dangerous thing for the church because if that's our understanding of Christianity, and we really never have an opportunity to share the reality of our hearts and who we are, and if we're always striving and straining to live up to some expectation that we could never meet, then you and I are going to have a really difficult time living in sincere community with each other, opening up about the places and the ways in which we are not perfect and we don't have it all together. And that is not good news. There is no gospel and us pretending to be something that we're not. We might think that the Apostle Paul had it all together and had everything figured out. He was one of those people who um, wrote a good deal of what we call the New Testament. But if you go back and you think about Paul's life, Paul had a difficult journey after he came to know Jesus and gave his life, ultimately, literally, gave his life in the defense of the gospel. Anytime that I'm frustrated about church work, I always read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. If I ever think that some church is difficult or hard, um, it's always refreshing to go back and read Paul's ministry that Paul always had a difficult time everywhere that he went. And in large part because the norms and the values of the culture around the church pressed in on what he was trying to accomplish. And in every culture where you place it, the gospel runs against what we think is normally the case. And it causes us to rethink the reality of who we are and what God has done for us in Christ. And some of those things are so deeply ingrained in who we are that it's so hard in our own power to live into the norms and the values of the kingdom. The book of 2 Corinthians is primarily about... Paul having opponents in Corinth who were calling into question his validity as an apostle. And Paul went into a lot of hardship and a lot of difficulty, and he had to change plans and go this way instead of that way. He had to zig when he would thought he was going to zag. And some people who were opponents of Paul would look and they would say, You see, that Paul, he's not all you think he is. He said he was going to come, and then he didn't come. He's really unreliable. And even when he does come, he's not a really good, gifted public speaker. He stumbles and he mutters, How in the world could this be the person that God has called to preach the gospel, even to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles? So 2 Corinthians, Paul is repeatedly responding to these accusations. Now there's one part toward the end of the letter where he does kind of play the game a little bit. He talks about these spiritual experiences that he had had. And he does it in a really wonderful way. He says, "Um, I know about a man, speaking of himself in this really interesting third-person kind of way, who had all these ecstatic experiences in the Lord, in a way to show that his relationship with God was sincere and that he was a devout believer. But for most of 2 Corinthians, Paul is not going to play the game that his opponents want him to play. He's not going to try to appeal to the Corinthians by saying that he is an impressive and powerful speaker. He's not going to play the game by saying that everything was always good for him. Kind of this understanding of God's blessings that made his life always great. He's not going to appeal to how courageous he was in the face of persecution. He even admits that he snuck out the back way, being lowered down in a basket through a window, kind of sneaking away from the hardship that was before him. What Paul does when people claim that he doesn't have what it takes to be an apostle is to embrace those claims and then acknowledge the fact that God doesn't choose to use the strong people in the world to accomplish his purposes. But instead, God chooses to use people who know that they're weak and they have nothing to offer God. Those are the kind of people that Christ is pleased to work through because then it's evident that it's not them or anything about what they bring to God's mission, but it's all about God's power and his spirit at work in and through them. See this coming um, up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to look back at verse 4. Paul writes this in the English Standard Version. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So you hear how Paul is saying, I'm not going to play the game and act as if I'm sufficient in and of myself to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. But instead, I'm going to point away from myself. I'm going to point to the power of God at work in me. He has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul did not use this phrase, new covenant, very often. In fact, I think this is the only place that he would use the word new covenant in all of his writings. It's a, it's a phrase that you and I are um, very familiar with. But Paul's going to start contrasting the work that God did in giving his people, the law in the Old Testament, with, with the way that God gave his people um, this new covenant through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, this new covenant came to us, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see, there are some people who incorrectly thought that the Old Testament law was a means to earn righteousness before the Lord. That if they could take the Old Testament law and follow every prescription faithfully enough, then they would be able to earn salvation based on their performance or what they had done. But if you try to do that, Maybe you've tried to do that at times in your life. If you try to take the ethical admonitions, if you try to take the Old Testament law, and by your own power and in your own strength live into all that God's calling us to be as his holy people in this world, you will find that there is no life there. There's only death and ultimately condemnation. And so Paul says there is this approach to a relationship with God that's based primarily on commands and our ability to live up to expectations. But ultimately, the letter kills. But it's the Spirit at work in us that gives life. And then Paul enters into this admittedly confusing explanation of what Moses experienced when he received the Old Covenant and brought it to the people and his face was shining. If you want to really spend a lot of time reading this week, maybe if you have a hard time sleeping, go find every commentary you can find on 2 Corinthians and read all the different ways commentators have tried to understand exactly what Paul is saying as he's contrasting Moses' ministry in the Old Covenant and the ministry that he had been given through faith in Jesus Christ. But I think suffice it to say that Paul was trying to say that the Old Testament covenant, though it came in glory, though it came as a gift that was supposed to guide God's people into the ways that they were supposed to live and be his holy people set apart in the earth, though it was supposed to be this life-giving theme, they had taken that because of the sin that's in their own hearts and turned it into this really negative thing, this thing that they never could quite live up to. And Paul says that when Moses came down, his face was shining with glory. Imagine this morning if my face was just lit up, glowing somehow. It would terrify you as well. And the Israelites were thinking, what in the world is happening? But Moses served as this intermediary between God's people And the Lord. And so he was the one that was chosen to go into God's presence. And the people, in their sin, in their shortcomings, could not dwell in the presence of God's glory, even as it came to them through an intermediary like Moses. And Paul says Moses had to go continually and recharge his batteries, so to speak, that the glory would fade. He would go back into God's presence. The glory would be renewed. He would come out, veil his face so that the people wouldn't be destroyed by the glory of God among them. But the fact that the glory would fade was a bigger picture, Paul sees, the fact that the Old Testament and the Old Covenant was living on borrowed time. That it was always meant to be provisional. That the Old Testament and the Old Covenant was never meant to be this eternal covenant that God would make with his people. But it was always pointing forward to this greater work of salvation that God would do when Jesus Christ came into the world and took on flesh and became the substitution for you and for me. And so Paul says the Old Covenant was always passing away. It was always fading And Jesus, who would be the substance of everything we read about in the Old Testament, eventually would come into the earth so that now you and I can be freed from the demands of the law and experience salvation through faith in him, not by what we've done, but by what Jesus has done for us. And the way that you and I experience this, if you go back and you read Jeremiah chapter 31, and if you read Ezekiel chapter 36, The prophets always were pointing toward this day when God would do this new work of salvation among them through the Messiah. And that the law would now not be something external that they had to try to obey in their own power and strength, but it would become internal. That God would write his law on our hearts. In Ezekiel 36, he talks about a day when he would give his people his spirit. As Baptists, I'm going to have to admit to you that we're not as strong on the Holy Spirit as we should be. But the reality of the story of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit means everything for you and for me for us to be able to see the significance of who Jesus is and that he is ultimately the fulfillment of everything for which the law had been preparing us. Paul writes that that even to that day when he was writing 2 Corinthians, that people would hear the Old Covenant read, and they could not see that the fulfillment of everything that they longed for had been made possible for them through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the same thing is true for you and for me. That apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts to help us see the significance of all that God has done for us in Jesus, fully meeting the demands of the law so that in him you and I are perfectly righteous, regardless of who we are or what we've done or where we're from or where we're going. Completely righteous through faith in what God has done for us in Jesus. And it is the glory of God that's been revealed to us in Jesus, that now makes all the difference in the world. Verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. I'll admit to you that I've sometimes read that verse, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and thought more about it in terms of kind of charismatic or ecstatic worship experiences. That the power of the Spirit at work in us would would free us to be more jovial or more um, unhindered in our worship of the Lord. As I read it in context and think about it more critically, what, what Paul is speaking about is not just, joy or or ecstatic experiences as God's people gathered together but it's a deeper sense that everything that you and I owed God because of our sin and our disobedience every bit of it has been met and satisfied fully through what Jesus did for us that Jesus both in his active righteousness meaning that he always did everything right and his passive righteousness, meaning that he never did anything wrong. The minute that you and I are able to see Jesus as the Messiah who fully meets the demands of the law, that we receive his righteousness, that we are reconciled to God and to other people through him, you and I experience freedom. Have you ever been around people who just seem like they don't care what anybody thinks. I love those people. I'll tell you an experience I had one time when I came to Birmingham. I may have shared this with you before. I'm from a small town, and I'm telling you, I love everything about where I'm from. I love the people. I love my home church, everything about it. But there's no really... Fancy restaurants where I'm from. And when I first came to Birmingham, there was a, a family that took us out to dinner, and they took us to bottega. Now I'm just gonna be honest with you. If you take me to a bottega, I need my cell phone to Google what in the world we're eating. They give you duck, but they don't tell you it's duck, or they give you, you know, all this stuff that you're trying to get. And we were sitting there and, and the couple said, um, well, what would you like for an appetizer? And I thought, you've already ordered two appetizers. Why would I order another appetizer? Why would Mary also order an appetizer? Um, I was thinking that we are going to get four orders of cheese fries like we were at Outback, which would have been enough food for the whole restaurant. Turns out, apparently, everybody gets every course at a restaurant like that. But there was, in this moment, this welling up in me that I wanted to pretend and to know like I understood everything that was going on. I wanted to keep up this impression that I had it all together. And, of course, I knew that everybody should get their own appetizer and dessert in every course. But the people that I love being around are the ones that are like, I have no. Why would we get four appetizers? And could you help me with all these forks you got laying on my plate? I only need one. Right. The sense that you can cut through and remove all the trappings of pretending and trying to be something that you're not. And that's what Christianity offers us through faith in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that you are not enough in and of yourself. And God doesn't pretend you to act like you are. What he's looking for, you for from us is for us to come. And we admit to him that we don't have it all together and we don't have it all figured out. That we're not enough in and of ourselves and our own righteousness will never stack up but thanks be to God for all that he's done for us in Jesus Christ. So that now there's, there's freedom. You don't have to pretend like you got it all together. You don't have to try to be stronger than the people before you. And Paul would go on to say that because of what God has done in Christ and that we see his glory most fully, not in him reigning on high, but on him humbling himself and taking on flesh, being born in a manger, going even to the point of embarrassment on the cross. That that becomes our new paradigm for life. Not in power, but in weakness. So that Christ's power might rest upon us. So Paul would say, God's been so gracious to give us this treasure, this gospel in jars of clay, not in strong vessels, so that it would be obvious that it's God doing his work in and through us and not us. Paul would say, I've been given this weakness, and I've prayed that God would take it from me. Over and over again, I prayed that he would take it from me. But you know what God said to him? No. You're going to keep that weakness, you're going to keep that thorn in the flesh, so that it will be obvious that you are weak and that my power is made perfect through weakness. I pray that it would be the case that more and more that God would reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ and that we would understand more fully the good news of all that God's done for us in Jesus. Because I think there is a world around this church and I think there is a world across this country that is hungry for not Religion and rules and all these things they have to do to earn salvation, but they're hungry for good news that, that in spite of what they've done and in spite of who they are, perfect righteousness is available through faith in Christ. Christ came to set us free. And that's good news that all of us need to hear. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would allow us to experience more of the freedom that you would have us to know. And in the fullness of time, Jesus, you came into the world because you knew we were never going to get our act together. Not with some system to work ourselves up to you, but you came to us. And we pray that you would be gracious to help us Rediscover the, the good news of the gospel, both in our lives as individuals and as a community of faith. And that we would not be pretentious, not focus on the outside, but we would focus on our hearts and on the hearts of others. And that you would transform us more and more into the image of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. not be faithful to bear witness to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We offer this prayer in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.